This is a Federal News Network podcast. By all indications, the Congress this week will have managed to keep a streak going. It's going to get the National Defense Authorization Act to the president's desk before the end of the calendar year. Beyond that, well, here's Bloomberg Government Deputy News Director Lauren Duggan. And I guess the reason they can do this is because of almost a pre-approved version of it that the House passed last week. That's right. So as we saw, the House passed its version of that bill earlier this year. The Senate bogged down when they couldn't agree on its version where to limit the amendment. So they basically set that whole process aside. The House and Senate Armed Services Committee came up with a compromise the way they normally would behind closed doors and presented that first in the House to to have its membership approve it, which they did last week by a pretty wide bipartisan margin, and send that over to the Senate, which is poised to clear it sometime this week. Not everyone is happy with this version of the bill, which happens with a compromise, but it looks like it will get over the finish line, get to President Biden's desk and be signed. So that really important more than six decade streak here is kept alive, which no one wants to be the House or Senate Armed Services chairman that doesn't get that bill done and breaks that streak, obviously. I think one of the things people were unhappy about was the not moving the adjudication of criminal activity in the Defense Department out of the Defense Department's judicial system and get it into the regular courts. There there was some disappointment about that. Um, and this a lot of this touches on how sexual assault claims are handled. Kirsten Gillibrand, a senator, has gotten bipartisan support in the Senate for a standalone bill to make a number of changes here. But those final changes were not incorporated into the version that's coming up in the Senate this week. Um, she says she's going to try again on her version. She's called it filibuster proof because she has enough support to overcome that if it can came to the floor, came for a vote on its own. Um, But as we saw, she never had the chance to offer that amendment on the Senate floor because they didn't get there. Um, And it seems unlikely she will this time around either. But there's next year's bill and the year after that. And I don't think she's going to stop. This bill does make changes to the way that the Code of Military Justice handles things like sexual harassment, some sexual assault. um, But there's more that advocates would like to see. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag there for those those changes that a lot of people have been calling for. And what might happen in the next couple of weeks with respect to clearing nominees by the Biden administration? There's a bucket of hundreds of them, correct, that are just not through the pipeline of the Senate. This is not because of lack of nomination, but lack of Senate activity. That's right. And every time the Senate processes a couple, more come over from the White House, which is still sending names up for a number of jobs. These aren't necessarily obviously not cabinet secretaries who have been in place for a long time, but sometimes assistant secretaries or ambassadors or boards and commissions. Um, We're going to see action both at the committee level and the floor level this week in the Senate on these. Um, Robert Califf to head the FDA is going to be a big one with the committee proceeding this week. Um, But What's happening is a lot of behind the scenes work to try to sequence these. So ones that are out of committee or maybe even had a tie vote in committee, um, Charles Schumer, the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, the minority leader, are working on a path forward. There are some that are just going to take time because they have to process them and get cloture to limit debate. They'll they'll work how to sequence those votes. But there's also packages of less controversial ones that will go by unanimous consent. One of the key challenges here is that there are Republicans who are holding up some of these nominations. Um, For example, there are a lot of holds in the State Department um, because Ted Cruz and others want to to see certain policy changes made. They can't stop these nominees because as long as there's 50 votes to cut off debate and confirm them, they can move forward. But 
every minute of floor time right now at the end of the year is precious and they're not going to try to push too many of those forward given the other legislative and uh, executive work they need to do so i think we'll see a lot we'll see probably a big healthy package get through before the end of the year um, but some of this is going to kick into next year as well we're speaking with lauren duggan deputy news director at bloomberg government and where do we stand on the debt ceiling that's the other big scary thing that sort of falls out of the sky every year that is one that's fallen on us twice this is the second go-round on this There was significant progress last week, though, because Senate and House leaders agreed on a process and put that into a bill that was cleared by the Senate Thursday night before it left for the weekend. And what this bill does is say when the Senate takes up a debt limit bill, uh, presumably this week, it only needs a simple majority to pass, which is a big deal. Um, What has happened here is Republicans in the Senate have said they want Democrats to do this themselves. They say, "You've, you've written these spending bills this year. If you need to increase the debt limit, you need to do it with your votes. That had initially looked like there would be another round of budget reconciliation to set that up. They abandoned that in favor of this expedited procedure, which the House signed off on and then the Senate signed off on. So um, as soon as the Senate takes this up, passes it, they'll send it over to the House, which will presumably clear it pretty quickly, get that to President Biden's desk and take this off the plate for a year or so. Um, that this is an issue that will be revisited either late 2022 or 2023. But it's one that makes a lot of people nervous because if the government can no longer finance its operations, will there be choices of what bills to pay or not pay? And, and you know, the threat of default hangs over that ultimately if it got to that point. Yes, because the greater economy is said to be in danger if the United States as an entity internationally defaults on its debts. Absolutely. And most of these warnings come from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, whose department is the one making choices. And even right now, they're using extraordinary measures, as they're known, which means they don't invest in certain funds or or make other decisions before they hit the debt limit so they can try to keep operations financed and going. Um, That date when she will run out of that ability is kind of up in the air a little bit, but her date has been December 15th, which is Wednesday. So that's why there's some pressure to do this, get it done, move on, and then, you know, tackle this other business. And then there is the issue of this big other spending bill, the Build Back Better bill, the Triple B bill, with lots of Triple B bonds, I guess, to back it up. What is going on there now? That seems to be merry-go-round that's kind of slowing down a little bit. Well, the House has passed its version, sent it over to the Senate, which is doing a couple of things. The committees of jurisdiction are coming up with their own versions in some cases, looking at provisions that they don't like the House's approach at or, or they need to tweak for some reason. There's also this process of, because it's a budget reconciliation bill, it has to comply with the Byrd rule named after Robert Byrd and lends itself to a lot of puns. So a lot of these provisions have been going through a Byrd bath, which is when the Senate part parliamentarian works with staff. Exactly. The Senate parliamentarian works with staff to figure out if the provisions in these bills comply with those rules. So a lot of behind the scenes work is going on there, writing legislative language, checking it through this process, getting it scored by the CBO, Congressional Budget Office, and seeing if this is a package they can pull together. The the thing hanging over all of this is, do they have the 50 votes they need to get onto this bill and then to pass it? Um, Joe Manchin has said many times that he's not 100% comfortable with this package, may not be comfortable with passing it this year. So I think there's going to be tough calls in the coming days over whether they can do this before Christmas, which is a goal that Senate Majority Leader Schumer has set, that the White House would like to see met, um, or if it's something that might slip into 2022. And with respect to Christmas and the new year, what does the schedule look like for them? 
Well, we're sort of in a gray area here because a lot of the initial schedules had them leaving even last Friday. Um, that was the House's case, but they are in this week to deal with the debt limit issue and a few other things. Um, but I, I would say if they can wrap up debt limit, they wrap up NDAA, then they will have some calls on does the Senate stay around for some more nominations? Do they have the Build Back Better reconciliation bill ready to go? Um, we're, we're watching this very closely. I know a lot of people in town base their own travel plans at the holidays around Congress's travel plans. So it's a little bit up in the air, but we may see them here into next week or a couple more weeks. Um, maybe they'll take a break between Christmas and New Year. Uh, but January 10th is the date that the House is circled in next year for returning. So even if they go away for a couple of weeks, they'll be back pretty early in the new year at this again. Yes, because they do have the continuing resolution that it's still in place, and that's only till February 18th. So it's not like they've got months and months on that front. And we could probably be heading to maybe a full year CR seems to be the odor of all of this. That's been an option that some Republicans have wanted, lock in the Trump budget for the rest of the fiscal year, um, lock in the writers, because that's the other part. Some of the policy writers have come into play here. Rosa DeLauro, the House Appropriations Chairwoman and her committee have been sending out letters from different constituencies about the need to get back to the table, negotiate a final package, get full year appropriations done, not a CR, but actual bills that allocate all the money to all the departments and agencies. So there will be pressure to try to get to a deal there. But some of the same things that have hung over this the whole year are going to persist into next year, too. Top line numbers, what policy writers, how to allocate funds. So a lot to decide there by February 18th, which is kind of the new big date we're circling for a lot of activity around. Lauren Duggan is deputy news director of Bloomberg Government. As always, thanks so much. Thank you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Uh, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates 
uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up. Uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right. And you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? 
Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters uh, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.